First John chapter number four. Let's pray together this evening. Heavenly Father, we certainly do love you and we thank you so much for your uh, unending love for us and Lord, how you've displayed that love and proved it time and time again. I thank you for these who are here tonight. We think of the so many that can't be with us this evening and Lord, I pray that you'd work uh, in every heart and every life as only you can. Lord, I pray that we would uh, look into your word tonight and we would stand, uh, step out of the way and, uh, Lord, that you would do the work that only you can do in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. And Lord, again, we, we just want to tell you that we love you and we thank you for who you are, for all you've done, for all you will do. Bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I want to start off tonight, and I'm going to give you a definition. You're going to have to wait a while for the title of the message. So let me just say that, because some of you will look at me and try to make one up. We have one. You'll get it in a little while. But uh, let, me, let me give you a definition uh, this evening. The Oxford Dictionary defines the word sweetheart. I was pretty upset it didn't have my picture there next to the word. Y'all might as well laugh. (laughs) The Oxford Dictionary defines the word sweetheart as a term of endearment, an affectionate form of address, or a particularly lovable or pleasing person or thing. I guess that's why my picture wasn't next to it. (laughs) That's the dictionary definition. Now let me give you a little... Uh, just this little uh, uh, story here. There was an older fellow who invited the preacher over uh, for a meal, and through the course of that evening, every time that man needed something, he preceded his request to his wife by calling her different names, like my love or darling, honey, dear, sweetheart, and on the list went. Well, at the end of the evening, the preacher turned to the man and he said, After all the years you've been married, it's so encouraging to see that you've kept the love alive by referring to your wife with all the little pet names. The man just kind of shrugged and dropped his head and he said, Honestly, preacher, I forgot her name years ago. The word sweetheart is not found in our Bibles in that specific form. However, I want you to know that it is certainly a biblical principle. Before we look into 1 John chapter 4, let me give you a couple of verses. Psalm 104 in verse 34. Psalm 104 in verse 34. The Bible says, My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. In Psalm 51 and verse 10, the psalmist says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Now look with me at 1 John chapter 4. We'll start reading at verse number 7. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. 
In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. We'll leave off reading uh, there uh, for the time, but notice now from what we just read, love cannot be separated from God. God and love cannot be pulled apart. 1 John 4 verse 8 states this fact, For God is love. So there can be no real true love without God. Now, this world has a lot of things that it claims to be love. But when we talk about now the love uh, that God is, the love that God has, what the true uh, now definition of love is, we find its root, its base in God alone. Therefore, those who don't know God, those who reject God, they cannot, outside of God, understand true love. Look at 1 John 4, 8 again. He that loveth not knoweth not God. Think with me now. John chapter 3 and verse 16. We know it. For God so loved the world. Then what does it say? That He gave. See, the word loved comes first. And then the word gave is second. Yet they're both connected together in that same action of love. See, if gave was removed, then love would not be complete. Love is more than a feeling to be experienced. Love is an action that must be expressed, and it can only be truly expressed by giving. I, I know so many people, and it, it's it's sad how... Uh, this mindset is in the world uh, today, but I, I know so many people. Uh, maybe they've, you know, they've they're, they're married and and uh, things have gone on, and they'll say this: "I just don't feel like I'm in love anymore." Friends, love is not a feeling. Just like we've been talking about in our from victim to victor series. You don't chase happiness in this life. You follow God. You pursue God. And happiness is a byproduct. When you love in a biblical way, guess what? The right feelings, that's a byproduct. But love is more than just feelings. 1 John 4 and verse 9, that we might live through Him. Jesus said in John 14 verse 15, If you love me, feel good about me. If you love me, Take out a $7 million commercial in the Super Bowl that blasphemes the Word of God. If you love me, what did he say? Keep my commandments. See, there's an action there. If I'm going to keep the commandments of God, I'm going to have to give something of myself. Whether it's my time, whether it's my talent, whether it's my treasure, whether it's my thoughts, I'm going to have to give something. If you love me, keep. My commandments. See, love must be expressed. And it's truly expressed 
through right action toward the one who is really loved. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 again. I'll show you something. 1 John 4, 11. Beloved, if God... Notice the if there. If God so loved us... Stop. He does. He does. We ought also to love one another. We should. Because He loves us, we ought love. So I want us to think tonight about this matter of uh, being a sweetheart, this matter of uh, having this true sweetheart love which describes and demands certain requirements and three simple words are, is the title, or are the title, words are the title. Get my grammar right. Three simple words are the title and the focus of the message tonight. Here's the three words. Sweet, heart, love. Sweetheart love. I'm going to ask you a question. Don't answer out loud. You answer privately in your mind. Then I'm going to give you a few thoughts. And then we'll close tonight by returning to this very same question. You ready? Here's the question. Are you a sweetheart? Don't answer out loud. And your neighbor, don't answer for the person next to you. Please. Now, everybody put your elbows away tonight. Okay? It's Valentine's Day. Before you answer that question, let's find out what that truly means. Are are you a sweetheart? So let me give you four things tonight. Number one is this. Sweetheart love commits. Sweetheart love commits. Now I won't ask you to turn uh, to John chapter 15, but let me read you verse number 13. You know it. John chapter 15 and verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Sweetheart love commits. And commitment means to give in trust, to entrust to another. So what then does mm, this sweetheart love commitment look like? Well, Romans chapter number 5 and verses 7 and 8, the Bible says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. So you say, you look at the verse there and you know what? It's going to be hard to find somebody to lay down their life for another, even if that other person is a good person, a righteous person. It says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure, that means like maybe for a good man, see, the, the righteous man, that's the high level. And then we drop now to a, a good man, what somebody might consider a good man. And maybe for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, we don't make the good list, we don't make the righteous list, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, commitment faithfully stands through the good and the bad. Not for good, better, or best. 
but for better or for worse. I cannot tell you how many uh, people over the years that I've uh, had the privilege to talk to as they have thought about uh, entering uh, the union of marriage, and I go, no, don't do it. No. <clears throat> it's a trap. I tell everybody, to, if, you, if you really want to have success in this life, live by my motto that I have lived with all of my life. Never get married and have kids. It has served me well. Somebody laugh. You know I'm married and have kids. <laughs> what? It's just a motto. I can't sleep at night. I just remind myself of the motto. No. I've talked with so many people and they're talking about marriage and I got some wisdom from the preacher that married my wife and I, who the, the preacher, our pastor at the time, who performed that ceremony. And as he was talking uh, to me and, and to Terry prior to uh, uh, our wedding, uh, we were sitting there together, uh, the three of us, in his office, and he looked at me and he said this, Do you love her? Yeah. Yeah, I do. That's why you think I'm here. You sure you love her? Yeah, what do you know that I don't? And he said, and then he said this, he said, you understand that the marriage vow is for better or for worse. He said, I want to ask you this question. He said, do you really love her or are you just simply infatuated with her in the moment? He said, and this is a question you need to ask yourself. And I'm telling you, this is good wisdom. And I have, I have tried to pass this along to everyone I've had the opportunity to speak with along the way. I have asked this question. I'll look at one or the other, uh, the, the prospective bride or the prospective groom, and I'll ask this question. If 10 years from now, and you're married, and your spouse suffers an injury or an illness that totally handicaps them. They can't do anything for themselves. Will you stay? I'm telling you, as a 25-year-old man, that was the furthest thing from my mind. I mean, I'm in my 20s. We're invincible. What's this talk about sick is for old people? Sorry. Don't worry, all the old people are gone tonight. It's just us. Thanks. He taught me that too. <laughs> and you know, in, the, in that moment, in, when everything is that new and that fresh, you don't tend to think for the worse. But you have to. And sweetheart love commits for better 
and for worse. Commitment, now I'm going to shock you with this one. Commitment is a rejected term in our day. Who knew? No one wants to commit to anything. Whether it be a mate, a church, a job, Bible reading and prayer, an exercise routine. Sorry. Um, Just repent right there. Or even a cell phone contract. Nobody wants to commit to anything anymore. That word commitment has become an abomination in our world. Hold on just a minute. I understand. I understand completely that many people have had one or more bad experiences in the past. I know that. We go around tonight. We've all been hurt. We've all uh, had uh, people who've broken promises, who've failed in their uh, commitments. And, And I know that many have had one or more of those bad experiences in the past, and it seems you've been bitten by this thing called commitment. I get it. And trust me, and hear me well tonight, I'm not trying to belittle anyone, I'm not throwing stones at anyone tonight, but you have to understand the truth. Neither crisis nor consequence negates the value of commitment. See, your circumstances don't define who you are. Your choices do. We must learn to put the hurts of the past behind us. Focus upon the hope of Christ and remain committed going forward. Hebrews chapter 12, you know the verses. This is all reminder for us tonight. Hebrews 12 verses 2 and 3, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. Goes on to say, consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. God's whole purpose, understand this tonight, God's whole purpose is fulfilled through commitment. There is no exit ramp. For God so loved. That's commitment. There's no exit. There's no place to quit. Sweetheart love commits. It's the attitude and action to work at making it work. We live in a disposable society. Something breaks, we go get a new one. And we're so used to that that when it comes to our interpersonal relationships, when those relationships get strained, guess what? We just go get a new one. And that has become the philosophy that the world lives by, this lack of being able to commit. Number two, sweetheart love constrains. Sweetheart love constrains. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5.14, the Bible says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Constrain means... To keep within close boundary. You would understand constrained by this word, arrest. Or to be held together tightly. And they put handcuffs on you. You're constrained. And it's God's constraining love that holds us to doing right things and avoiding 
wrong things. Sweetheart love will restrain you from seeking fulfillment elsewhere. It'll stop wandering eyes and minds. And my goodness, how that's so necessary in our day. I've told many of you this, and I never would have ever thought this uh, to be true, but mm, I've had, you know, certain social media accounts for a long time, longer than I've been in ministry, but it wasn't until God put us into ministry that all of a sudden it seems at least, at least once a week, usually more than that, there's some kind of pornographic account that wants to hook to my profile. That never happened before. I went into ministry and you say, oh, it's a coincidence. No, it's not. No, it's not. That's why we have to keep the armor on. We have to keep our guard up. We have to be constrained by the love of Christ to be careful uh, what we do because the love of Christ will root out and eliminate wrong desires. It'll help you maintain a loving and giving attitude, not a lusting and taking attitude. Constraining love carried Christ to the cross of Calvary. Constraining love held Christ to that cross. It wasn't the nails. It was His love for you and His love for me that held Him to that tree. And it's that same love that knits us tightly to the Lord. It's that same love that holds marriages together and makes relationships work and strengthens homes and churches and communities. Sweetheart love commits and constrains. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let me give you number three. Sweetheart love contributes. Oh, it commits... And it constrains, but it contributes. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. I gave you a head start. 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. I better mark my spot here in 1 John. 1 Corinthians 13 verse number 4. You there? Yes. All right. First Corinthians 13, verse 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, Hopeth all things, endureth all things. We read those verses. Can I uh, just tell you tonight, love gives selflessly. Love gives kindly. Love gives without jealousy, pride, ugliness, selfishness, retaliation, or wicked agenda as we see from the verses that we just read. Love contributes without worrying about collecting in return. There's a lot of people who claim that they love other people. But the truth is they're just manipulating other people to get something for themselves. We need a happy revival of commitment. Hear it now. 
We need a happy revival of commitment, constraint, and contribution in our hearts and in our homes. And we ought resolve to walk with God and work with God to focus more on the giving than the getting. And the giving, more on the giving than the getting when it comes to God, when it comes to our family and friends, when it comes to the church, when it comes to our co-workers, when it comes to our communities, when it comes to, watch out now, our critics we ought to focus more on the giving than the getting what a difference it would make if we would happily be constrained by Christ to honestly commit to humble contribution if you don't think that would make a difference in your life try it for a few months watch the difference that God makes in your heart in your life, in the relationships uh, that you have because sweetheart love commits, constrains, contributes. And as such, we find this, number four, sweetheart love is complete. Sweetheart love is complete. You're still in 1 Corinthians 13. Look with me at the last verse of the chapter, verse number 13. 1 Corinthians 13.13 And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. But the greatest of these is charity. Can I tell you tonight, sweetheart love is complete within itself. It does not need to be coaxed. It does not need to be forced. It is not love pending the actions of others. It's love Period. If your love for someone requires something from that someone, then it's not complete. It's not sweetheart love. If you insist on your rights and your way, you'll never experience what we mean by this matter of sweetheart love. See, sweetheart love consists of faith to believe God's promises hope to be confident in God's provision, and charity to be acting according to God's plan. That's why sweetheart love is complete in and of itself. Faith, hope, charity. All three together in one. Too many are more in love with themselves than with God and with others. That's not sweetheart love, that's selfish love. See, sweetheart love overlooks faults and flaws. Sweetheart love overcomes tests and trials. Sweetheart love overthrows animosity and agendas. Sweetheart love overrides demand and desire for return. Sweetheart love overwhelmingly says this, My love is not for me, but for you, because I love you. Is that not what God said? But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We could offer nothing in return outside of God, and yet He still loved us. Sweetheart love commits. Can I tell you tonight, there's no quitting There's no quitting. Sweetheart love commits. Sweetheart love constrains. There's no wandering. Sweetheart love contributes. There's no limiting. 
Sweetheart, love is complete. There is no equal. For God so loved the world that he gave. And what did he get in return? Christ got mocked, ridiculed, beaten, nailed to a tree, spit upon. And yet he still stayed on that old rugged tree. Why? Sweetheart love. As a result, if we're going to be conformed to the image of Christ, we too can have a sweetheart love. Now notice, there is no negating of truth in that. That's the other, you know, don't, don't, go, don't go off into the, that ditch. Remember, Jesus was full of grace and truth. If you're not willing to tell someone the truth, that's not love. That's not love. If you're willing to uh, condone someone's sin, that, that's not love. What, what can we do for those people? We can pray. We can ask God to work in their life and we can show to them the love of God at work. Can I tell you tonight when He was on the cross, you were on His mind. We love because He loves Sweet heart love. Thinking about the truths that we've just looked at. Now let's ask the question again. Are you truly a sweetheart? My goodness, what a difference it makes when we look at it in light of the Word of God. 